Welcome, adventurers. Havish and company have gone to knock on a tower door. What will they find within? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Now that he was fully awake, there was no question of it at all. The toll in Quail's head had sounded twice more, indicating two more had crossed the bridge. Quickening his pace down the cold steps, he started taking them two at a time. It was a respectable descent from his bedroom on the sixth floor, but he had long legs and made quick work of it. The fog of his unexpected awakening was clearing from his mind and was being replaced with a curious anticipation. It had been well over a hundred years since anyone had visited his abode uninvited. This could be the most interesting of days indeed. His rapid pace finally brought him to the soaring ground floor of the tower. It was over twenty feet high and a full sixty feet across. Many arched windows surrounded this level. Beams of afternoon light poured through, illuminating the circular chamber, which bore on the walls a collection like no other. Paintings of all sizes, odd contraptions, the purpose of which would only be known to the inventor or the extremely intelligent. Radiant suits of armor, weapons of the finest craft, tapestries of unequaled quality were all prominently displayed. Where the walls met the floor, many bookshelves and cabinets stood. In these were countless books of history, art, and culture. Other cases featured exquisite and ornate jewelry necklaces, pins, and more than one set of crowns. Anyone of average make would stop in awe at the incomprehensible splendor. But Quail was much more interested in who was scratching at his door. He completed his half-circuit of the lower chamber on the curved staircase that ran along the wall. The floor itself was a massive mosaic. The depicted scene was a massive battle of times long past. An army of humans, dwarves, and halflings were routing a much smaller army of humanoid figures that were scaled, clawed, and tailed, a race that had long been sense-driven from this part of the world, dragonborn. Quail crossed the floor quickly to the large double door opposite where the stairs landed. As he padded barefoot across the floor, he pulled his robe shut and tied the belt. Upon reaching the door, he paused, listening for a moment. The barest sound of metal scraping metal could be heard. Someone was trying to pick his lock. How rude. Quail reached out, grabbing both handles, and in one swift motion, he turned the handles, stepping back, pulling the doors inward and open. Havish was getting nervous. This was taking far longer than normal. He looked to where Makri stood, shield at the ready on the bridge, and then up across the ravine to where he knew Pence was. He could not see her. Well and good. Turning back, he shifted his feet, rolling his shoulders, sword and shield ready in his hands. This was taking too long. Zaram, he whispered, barely audible. Zaram didn't respond. 
Despite the cold mountain air, a bead of sweat had gathered on his brow. He had actually cast aside several of his tools, which were now scattered at his feet. Havish had never seen this before. Zoram had a look on his face that was a mix of concentration, panic, and disbelief. As he continued to work, he perspired even more. His eyes flashed once to Havish. Havish could see, even in that brief look, that Zoram was near, painfully near, to admitting defeat. It was possible that the fear of that admission was the only reason he still persisted. And then, an audible click. Zaram's form relaxed, a wide smile coming to his face, but only for a short moment. Even as the smile formed, the doors in front of them swung quickly inward, ripping Zaram's tools from his hands. Havish snapped to the ready. Zaram stumbled and stood, hand dashing to his short sword. On the other side of the door stood a tall, slender man. The man had long purple hair with silver streaks, disheveled as if just woken from sleep. He wore nothing but a simple robe of yellow silk, but the most striking feature were the man's eyes. It was like looking into the night sky. May I help you, gentlemen? Havish, sword drawn, did not respond at first. His eyes looked past the man that held the doors open, trying to penetrate into the massive chamber beyond in search of threats. Zaram stood next to him, unsure what would come next. Havish, unable to see anything within, looked back to the purple-haired man before them. Is your master home? You are standing at my door, which until a moment ago you were trying to break into. Weapons drawn, and now you casually ask me if my master is home? Releasing the door handles, the man let his arms fall to his side. Most curious. Why are you here? And who do you think my master is? Nothing in the man's tone indicated he was afraid of the two armed men. This lack of concern bothered Havish. Listen, friend, we have need to enter this premises and remove a few items. It is nothing personal, just business. Step aside and we can discuss your future once our business is concluded. Zoram, bind his hands. Zoram shot a nervous look to Havish, and then to the man. Zoram. Havish snarled. Short sword leveled at the man, other hand extended outward, palm facing out, as if to calm a growling dog. Zoram took one tentative step toward the man. As he did, the hundreds of silver flecks in the man's dark pupils began to expand like spilled liquid. And in a beat, the eyes were completely silver. Balls of liquid mercury. Zoram stopped mid-step as the man's posture changed from curious to straight-backed and alert. I caution against this course of action. And then the silvery eyes turned towards Havish. I must admit your presence had brought a tinge of curiosity, but your aggressive behavior and unwillingness to answer even the most basic of questions is trying my patience. I should be sleeping now. Please leave. I am through with you. Havish's sword rose above his head like a viper waiting to strike. To himself, he said, I guess I was wrong about the bloodshed. And then, addressing the man, You have no idea who you are fucking with, and unfortunately, you won't be alive long to tell others what a poor decision you have made. The man took one considered step back into the room, a cold smile appearing below his alien eyes. 
the same could be said for you. As he spoke, a sudden and bitterly cold wind whipped up and all around. With a deafening screech, it was revealed that the large door where they now stood was actually inlaid in another unbelievably massive door that had been hidden in the tower's architecture. The freezing wind blew this door outward. Havish and Zaram were only able to avoid the swinging door by stepping into the void where the smaller doors were. Havish gathered himself in anger. His trained eyes quickly cast about to find the purple-haired man, or wizard, or whatever the fuck he was. But he did not find a man. Instead, his eyes caught the gleam of a massive leg. Regrouping, Havish took a few steps back, looking up in disbelief. Before him stood a vibrant silver worm, wings unfurling. The dragon turned his head down to regard them. A beard of spikes hung below the creature's mouth, and a spiny, sail-like crest stood proudly atop the beast's head. A disapproving snarl escaped as his head slowly lowered. Havish swallowed. Ten thousand gold pieces seemed exceedingly insignificant at this point. Footsteps could be heard running up the bridge from behind. The sky darkened. Mockery's voice screamed in an unnecessary warning. Dragon! The dragon looked up and then covered itself with its wings as a bolt of lightning flashed from the sky, striking the dragon's massive form. Even with her shield drawn up, the freezing cold wind seemed to find every exposed bit of flesh Mockery had. She felt her face burn from the cold, skin cracking in places. As the wind subsided and she looked ahead, her watering eyes widened in awe. The side of the tower had opened, revealing a massive door. Zaram and Havish were stumbling back and in the tower. Could it be? Moving toward the tower, Mockery reached her hand to the sky, chanting as she moved. Over the tower, once clear skies darkened, a swirling vortex of clouds forming. Blue lightning began to arc through the clouds. Mockery finished her chant, holding the spell's power in her mind. She could not believe it. Dragon! She yelled before making a quick gesture toward the tower. A blue bolt burst from the newly formed storm to strike the dragon where it stood. To her dismay, the dragon covered itself with its wings at the last second, diffusing the bolt's damage. Mockery was almost to Zaram and Havish now. As she reached her companions, the dragon split its wings wide to either side, and then, with one unfathomably powerful stroke, buffeted the air in front of them. The force of it was so powerful that all three of them were slammed to the ground. The dragon roared and then burst from the tower, flying to a perch on the side of the tower some thirty feet above. As he landed, he called down in a booming voice. Stop this madness. It will not end well for you. Havish stood, sheathing his sword, and yelled at the top of his lungs. Repentance! Dire situation! Looking up to get a beat on the dragon, he reached for a javelin stowed in a bag on his back. But even as he did, he saw the dragon's inhale and abandoned that plan. Covering his head and upper body with a shield, he was just able to take cover before the icy blast hit. The dragon breathed out a frozen torrent of ice in the air that hammered down on them. Zaram was able to roll partly out of the way. Havish was able to deflect some of the blast with his shield. But Mockery, struggling to stand, 
took the full brunt of the breath. When it ceased, she lay on the ground, her face blue, her armor covered in frost, unmoving. Zarum, teeth chattering, saw Makri's unmoving form and swore. His hand shot into a pouch even as he skittered towards her. In one motion, he swung a stoppered bottle to his mouth, pulling the cork with his teeth, while the other hand pried her frozen jaw open. He roughly upended the bottle's contents into her mouth, looked to the dragon, and then made a dash into the tower, not waiting to see if the potion had taken effect. Mockery coughed, spitting out the now-empty bottle as the skin on her face turned from blue to pale white. She struggled again to sit up, teeth chattering. As she did, she saw a bright streak overhead. The dragon pulled both of its wings over its form again as the fire impacted. A low roar and Makri closed her eyes against the flash. The radiant heat was almost welcome in her near-frozen state. Dragging herself to her knees, the bitter wind ripped once more around the tower, through the ravine and the nearby rocks. Her skin froze again, and for a second she thought she would pass out, but she willed herself to stand. Forcing her chattering teeth to stop, she began chanting, her stiff fingers working to move, tracing arcane ruins in the air. Makri then drew her hand into her chest, and a burst of white light surrounded her. When it had passed, her face was returned to normal, her armor free of frost. All the stiffness had left her body. She drew her mace and screamed in defiance at the dragon. I will not be taken so easily! Havish, hearing Makri's cry, popped out from beneath his shield and reached again toward the javelins. He dashed out onto the bridge to get a better angle on their foe. As he moved, his arm worked, throwing three times. The first javelin went wild, his hands still numb from the cold. The dragon swept the second aside with its wing, and the third skipped harmlessly off the luminous hide. The dragon leapt from the tower, landing on the small ledge where Makri stood by the entrance, and its voice boomed. Yield! Followed by another ear-splitting roar that echoed off the mountainside, Makri stood stubbornly defiant. The dragon's movements were faster and more powerful than anything she had ever faced before, and in a blink of the eye she had been savagely bitten and bled heavily from two more vicious wounds, her armor rent where silvery claws had broken through. Outside, the sounds of savage battle raged on. Zarim was frantically throwing books on the floor and casting priceless jewelry aside. When his finely honed instincts drew his eye to a stone that sat in the wall just a little too proud and was just a little too smooth, worn from the repeated touch of hands, Zarim quickly pushed it. There was a small click, and a portion of the stone floor near him slid away, revealing a staircase to a chamber below. The dragon repeated. May Tiamat eat your soul. Makri spat through bloodied teeth. The dragon's tail smashed into Makri. Her shield exploded into splinters. Her arm was broken and crushed. She wobbled on her feet, barely able to stand. Snarling, the dragon looked down. Something in its expression willed Makri to quit. But she raised her mace and spat out blood and teeth. The dragon snarled again, but it turned into a spastic cough 
as a green cloud formed in the area. Its silvery head bucked and writhed as he tried to escape the poison. Pence's spell had been cast with caution in an attempt to miss Mockery, and the cloud stayed on the dragon's position for but a moment. The silvery beast reared back on hind legs and beat the air with massive wings, dissipating the noxious gas and driving Mockery to the ground once more, her helmeted head hitting the ground, and all faded to black. It seems the evil of Havish and his party may have met its end. But Zoram has found something inside of Quail's home. What might it be? Join me next week for the conclusion of Unexpected House Guests. <laughs>